You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. All good? I'm going to need some help today. You know why I'm going to need some help today? Y'all, I'm going to preach on um, how we experience God. That's... It's like an unenviable task. Like, how do we get God? How do we experience God? I'm not going to be able to answer this question, and I'm not going to be able to answer it well. Um, so maybe I just shouldn't preach. I'm sure you all would be okay with that. No, no. For better or for worse, I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to give this a shot. How do we experience God? How did God come to be? We're in our How We Got Here series, talking about some of the systems and structures in which we operate as Christians, especially Christians at Forefront. And like I say always, we're way more interested in asking good questions rather than having right answers. This is going to be one of those times, y'all. We're going to have to ask some questions together, figure it out together, because the truth is, my papers are flying everywhere. That is the truth. Um... Yeah, the truth is, I, it's, we're, we're going to explore. So let's go exploring, okay? And the first thing I'm going to do is talk historically about how we got God, okay? And so let's go back about 23,000 years ago when there was uh, the first recorded human experiences. And, and what is pretty universal, and I'm going to have to get a weight up here or something, what's pretty universal about these experiences is that, uh, and give me one second, y'all. Just give me one sec. All right. Got it. <laughs> All right, back. I'm back. What's pretty universal about these experiences are that people saw unforeseen forces. There were unforeseen forces out there, and those unforeseen forces controlled things that humanity couldn't control. So good crops or bad crops, whether they won wars or lost wars, whether people got sick or whether people remained healthy, right? These were all things that people said, hey, I can't control this. There must be an unforeseen force. So what did they start to do? Well, they started to give sacrifices to those unforeseen forces. And at first, it started off like as a little pile of rocks, as like an altar. And then it went up to like temples and to churches, which we still see today, right? So we took this unforeseen force, and we said, this unforeseen force controls my life, and it lives in this place. That's number one. And then we said, this unforeseen force that controls my life and lives in this place, I'm afraid of it. I don't quite know how it works. So what we started to do is we started to hire people who could help us understand, the shaman, the, the, you know, that religious worker, that, that priest, whoever they might be, because that priest could tell us how to sacrifice or how to worship or how to do whatever it is we needed to do so that that unforeseen force would be happy and good things would happen in our lives, right? And so this is, is recorded in human history, throughout human history and throughout culture, which brings me to culture, because every culture created God in their own image. And I would still say that's pretty much true. We create God in our own image, and we always make the joke that God hates everybody we hate, right? And so you do what you do is you create God in your own image. And so if you are a warrior-like culture, then you'll have a warrior God. If you're a peaceable, loving culture, you'll have a peaceable and loving God. If you uh, are a culture that is in uh, you know, communion with nature, then your God might even be nature, right? What we do is we say, like, okay, God is in this place. God works through this holy person. And God works according to my culture and tradition. And I experience all this in these unforeseen ways that I can't quite control. And because I can't quite control them, I leave it up to God to do that. And that is historically how we got God. Now, my guess is that's not very exciting to any of us. Unless we're getting our MDiv. Shout out to everybody getting their MDiv out there. There's a few of y'all. Um, but most of us aren't getting an MDiv. And so what do we do with this God? 
I mean, we still follow the same practices. You know, we still have the church. I mean, we were excited to get back to roulette. We wanted to be in a place. Right? We still have that, that holy person. I don't know how holy I am, but y'all pay me to be up here, right? So there's some sense in which that still happens. And we still uh, make God in our own image and in our own culture, right? America, part of America's problem right now is that America, or is that people set out to make America more godly, and instead we made God more American, right? That's what we ended up doing. So that's part of our issue right there. So, so, so in our little section, in our little world, you know, how do we experience, or how do we, how do we connect with God when those are still the cases in some ways? Well, that's what we're going to explore for the rest of this. How do we experience God when we have these limitations? How do we do it? So the question that I have to ask you all to start, how we experience God, the question I have to ask is, what do you all think of when you think about God? What do you all think of? Somebody just tell me, shout it out, write it in the comments, do something. What do you think of when you think of God? Love, friend. What did you say? Magic. Magic. (laughs) I feel you. I mean, what does God look like? What does God feel? You know, I think the big flowing beard is like traditionally the way we think about God. Um, Morgan Freeman. That's kind of a nice thought. When I think about God, I think about Morgan Freeman. Um, What else? What else? Some, Some of us think about God as sort of cold and calculating, like God's moving us like chess pieces. That would be like a do a machina God, right? That's that kind of God. Um, you know, it's funny, like, whenever I think about God, I, I don't, I don't, like, think about love, or I, I think of, like, this blurry motion. That's what I've always done since I was a kid. What do we think about when we think about God? The truth is that God is a little bit hard to fathom, right? But in some respects, we say that God is here, or, or if God is not here, God is right over there, right outside our vantage point, right? And in fact, if God's right over there and right outside our vantage point, we can quite, we, we, we can almost get to God, we're close, we can, we, can, we can sort of grasp God, but, but, but that doesn't even work for us either. It's hard to talk about what we experience when we experience God, right? What do, what do we experience when we experience God? Um, the quote that I preach on all the time, I preach on this quote like twice a year because I love it so much. It comes from a theologian named Paul Tillich who says that God does not exist, right? You got an atheist theologian, it's like being a vegetarian owner of a barbecue joint, right? That's what it's like. But... I'm, I'm going to finish this quote, because he says, God does not exist. He says, God is the ground of all existence. God does not exist. God is the ground of all existence. And I love that. We get a little closer to, to the unexplainable. And in fact, in Jewish tradition, the tradition that we come from, right, they call God Yahweh. What does Yahweh literally translate to? It literally translates into breath. Like, God is just, God is, God is your breath, like, like part of you, Right? Um, when Moses sees the burning bush and Moses says to the burning bush, who should I tell the Pharaoh? What should I tell the Pharaoh? Uh, or who should I tell the Pharaoh sent me? And the burning bush responds, tell him the I am sent you. And it's the most frustrating translation in the Hebrew Bible because it roughly translates into, tell him that I don't exist, I just am. Well, that's not helpful, right? But that's, that's where we are when we think about God. And then it says in scripture, it says that God, that we're created in the image of God. Like, how are we created in this image of this thing that doesn't exist, but is the ground of all existence? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to, again, attempt to tell you how we might experience this God. And I have to do it by uh, quoting Niels Bohr. And Niels Bohr says this. He says, the universe is not only stranger than we think, 
but stranger than we can think. Our supposed logic has to break down before we can comprehend the nature of the universe and the bare beginnings of the nature of God. Okay, all right. So what do we mean by that? Y'all know I love talking about physics, so I'm going to talk about physics and the fact that we're made up of seven billion, billion, billion atoms. Seven, uh, seven billion, 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 billion atoms, okay? Atoms, they're interesting, right? There are more atoms, there are more atoms in a glass of water than there are in, if, if, if we took all the oceans and made glasses of water from all the oceans, right? There's more atoms in a glass of water than glasses of water in all the oceans. Does that make sense? Right? Like, that's, that's like unfathomable. Right? Unfathomable. And then we're made up of these atoms. And if you had a camera on us where these atoms would be moving around, we'd be, they'd be bouncing off each other, right? Like, and the fact is they're bouncing and moving around so much that there's these little things called subatomic particles. There's probably thousands of them. We only know of about 150 to 200 of them, and that's it. And, and there's even one particle that is in, in, in two different places at the same time, right? That feels unfathomable, right? It feels a little crazy. And these atoms that are bouncing with these subatomic particles, they're creating in us new bodies, to this is true, we are a brand new body once every seven years. We're a brand new body once every seven years, y'all. Like, so every seven years, you're you, but you're not you. Like, you're different, right? Maybe we are made in the image of God. Right? Maybe we are, and maybe that unfathomable ground of all existence, that, that's hard to experience, but maybe God is saying in all the change and all the continuity and all of it, I'm kind of in the middle all that, of all that. And so I preached on this about six years ago, and it was kind of an aha moment for me. And in this aha moment, I, I used this analogy, which I'm going to use again. When I think about experiencing God, right, I think about God as music. Hence the meet and greet question, right? And so when a friend says to us, oh, my gosh, you have got to, you, you, you got to hear this song. This song is amazing. And then you get, go, okay, and then your friend says this to you. Your friend says, well, this song, it starts in A minor, and it's in three-quarters time, and then it goes from minor to major chord progressions, followed by a slight crescendo, and it finishes with the staff line on the two dots, which is F. Now, I'm not a music theory nerd. <laughs> I have no idea what my friend's talking about. <laughs> and there are very few of us who know what our friend is talking about if this is the way that they talk about a song that they've heard, right? And this is kind of how I feel about God. If we're going to experience God, God is kind of like music theory, right? God is the, the, the thing behind the music that builds the music, that makes the music happen. It's kind of unfathomable, except for all you music theory people out there who are quite incredible. For the rest of us, it's kind of unfathomable, right? For the rest of us, it's kind of like, what, what, what is this exactly? But, but it makes something, and it makes something beautiful. And so maybe we can't fathom the unfathomable God, but if God is the ground of all existence, then maybe God is the theory behind the song. And if God is the theory behind the song, well, how do we experience God? How do we experience the music? Because when our friend says to us, oh my gosh, you've got to hear this song, they don't tell us the theory behind it. They play the song. And then we hear it. And if God is the theory behind the song, then the playing of the song, then the experience of the song would be, come on, y'all, what will it be? It's Jesus. There's our Sunday school answer. Good job, everyone. The experience of the song is Jesus. Now, I love this, right? Because God says, you're not going to quite get to me. You're made in my image, and that's an unfathomable thing. You're the theory, but Jesus is the experience. 
So if you want to know who God is, we look at Jesus. And what do we see with Jesus? Come on, y'all, open your Bibles, read your Gospels. Because in him, we have a Jesus who is way more inclusive and loving than we could even imagine. Right? Like Jesus, when Jesus gets angry, he gets angry at the people who think they're super religious and have the right set of beliefs instead of love. Right? That's, and so when we see Jesus being way more inclusive and loving than we can imagine, Jesus says, do you want to know who God is? Do you want to experience God? Experience, experience the way I'm, include, I'm inclusive and loving. Experience that. And then, you know, Jesus, um, what else does he do? He heals uh, the enslaved servant of a Roman centurion. Now, that's kind of a big deal because the Roman centurions, they were the enemy. Right? And so what is, what is Jesus showing us? Jesus is saying, you want to know who God is through me? When I heal this Roman centurion servant, what I'm actually doing is showing you that God does not draw lines, has no boundaries, is not exclusive. There's no in or out. And it doesn't matter about culture. It doesn't matter about context. God is in all of it. God loves all of it. God sees us as fully and perfectly made, even the Roman centurion. Want to know who God is? Experience it through Jesus. Jesus weeps when Lazarus dies. Y'all, you ever get like perplexed by that one? Because he's going to raise him from the dead. But Jesus weeps when Lazarus dies. Why? Why? I love it. You know why? Because Jesus is saying, you want to experience God? Well, then know that God is with you in the midst of death and weeps with you. And God suffers with you in the midst of your pain. And in the midst of anxiety over everything that's happening this week and next week and all that's to come, God is with us in that suffering and in that anxiety and in that grief. And every single time we think that God is not there, it was like the song we just heard. God is there, right? And that's what Jesus is showing us. Jesus says, do you want to see who God is? Look at the way I weep when Lazarus dies. God does that with us too. You see, if God is unfathomable as the music theory then Jesus is the experience. Jesus is the music. Jesus points us back to God. But see, the way we experience God in our little section of Christianity over here, it's not just limited to God, and it's not just limited to Jesus, because we believe in something called the Holy Trinity. Right? You all know about the Holy Trinity? Some people are like, nope. (laughs) And the Holy Trinity gets me to my absolute favorite, favorite passage in all of scripture. And I'm not even kidding. This is my favorite passage in all scripture. It says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us, and I'm going to stop saying Father because this is obviously contextual. Uh, So anyone who has seen me has seen God. How can you say, show us God? Don't you believe that I am in God and God is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is God living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in God and God is in me. Y'all got that so far? It's not, it, it, it's not too confusing. It's a little confusing, right? Basically, what Jesus is saying is what we just talked about. He's saying, hey, you want to know who God is? God is in me. God is working through me. And then this is the, be- oh, this is the best part, y'all. Ready? Ready? This is it. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to God, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that, the God, so that God may be glorified in me, the Son. And you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. I love this, because what Jesus is saying is saying, hey, you see what I'm up to? You seeing how I, I'm showing you the character of God in my healing, and in the way I love, and in the way I weep, and I'll see how you do the same thing. God is in you as well. Ooh, that sounds a little heretical. How many people, when they heard, when, they, like, when I said, hey, what do you think of when you think about God? How many people felt like, 
The answer was myself. <laughs> huh? Not too many of us. No. No, but what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying, oh, and by the way, God is in you, and God is in you in such a way that you're going to do even bigger things, and you're going to love and be more inclusive than ever before, and you are going to break uh, divides and, and exclusivity more than ever before, and you are going to stand together with others more than ever before, because when you experience God, not only do you experience me, but you also experience the Spirit. You experience the Spirit, so God and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that Holy Spirit? Oh, it's that feeling. Y'all know that feeling. Sometimes it makes you feel nauseous. Sometimes it makes you, like, overjoyed, like, oh, my gosh, I don't know where this is coming from, but I'm feeling it right now. Sometimes it brings you to conviction or courage, right? The Spirit is different. I, I can never, you know what the Spirit's like? You know that you get the floaties in your eye? You know what I'm talking about? And you try to focus in on the floaty, but you can't. Like, it goes away. Maybe that's what the Spirit's like a little bit. And so you just got to go with that feeling. And so if God is the music theory, and Jesus is experiencing the music, then the Holy Spirit is the way the music makes us feel. It's the way the music moves us. In 2001, I got off of a plane in London and I popped Radiohead's OK Computer into my Discman. <laughs> Remember Discman? Yes. And I walked around, and I can't tell you what it was, but it was something that changed my life that day. And whenever I hear that, that album, my, my, it feels like I go back to that place, my life has changed. Or when I was a, a little kid, and I heard Dougie Fresh beatbox. Ooh. And he started beatboxing, and I thought to myself, I. At some point in my life, I'm going to tell stories on a stage the way that Dougie Fresh tells stories with his mouth through beatboxing. I didn't think I'd be a pastor, but you know. <laughs> That's what the music does. That's uh, the feeling. Y'all know the feeling, right? Like you hear a song, and immediately you're brought back to like the person you love. Or you're brought back to a time when you made this like super courageous decision. You heard that song it was playing when you decided to move to New York, right? And every time that song comes on, it oh, comes back. Or, or that time when you were like, oh my gosh, I'm hearing this song, and it's like, i got to change my life. i got to get a new job. i got to break up with this person, whatever. The Spirit moves us that way. It's the feeling. God is the music theory. Jesus is the music. The Holy Spirit is the way the music makes us feel. So how do we respond to it? How do we move with it? I like to look at Peter, because Peter, at Pentecost in the book of Acts, he starts speaking other languages. Why? Because something's convicting him. Something's moving him. So he's feeling something, right? And he starts speaking other languages, and people start interpreting it, and somebody says, are you drunk? It's 9 o'clock. And Peter says, just a little. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> Peter says, no, I have the Spirit. Something's moving in me. Something's upon me. And what happens? Thousands upon thousands of people follow Jesus Christ that day. Because right? that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is God in us. The Spirit is God at work in us. The Spirit is God moving in us. And, and, and then Peter, he's got another thing where, where there's a Gentile named Cornelius. And Peter's like, oh, i got to go hang out with this guy. I'm not supposed to hang out with Gentiles. Why? Because for thousands of years, a belief system, a bunch of laws, said that you don't hang out with somebody like a Gentile, especially a Gentile named Cornelius. You don't do it. And Peter goes and does it. 
Why does Peter go and do it? Because he says, you know, there's a God working in me. There's a spirit working in me. There's a movement going on where I have the courage to now include somebody who was never included before. And I got to listen to this, even though it goes against everything I think and believe. And what is the spirit doing for us today? I think it's moving us in courage. I think it's moving us to, to, you know, when we talk about ushering in the next 500 years, that's from the Spirit. That's asking us to be super inclusive. That's asking us to love those who haven't been loved. That's asking us to break down borders and barriers. It's asking us to, to believe maybe for a second that there is God in us and that the God is moving us to courage and to wonderful things, right? And so what we do is we worship this holy trinity, God, who's our music theory, Jesus, who's our music experience, and the Spirit, the way the Spirit makes us, or the way the music makes us feel. Here's what I love most about it. The reason I love our little corner of, of religion, right? The reason I love the little thing we've created over here. I love it because they're interdependent and they're interrelational. I love it for that reason. Now, why is that a good thing? I mean, listen, we're in America, and in America, it's all about individualism, right? My freedom, my rights at the expense of others. In fact, that's bled over into Christianity. I don't have an interrelated, interdependent relationship with God and community. I have a personal relationship with God. And what I do when I'm in community with you is just to that extent, I want you to create a personal relationship with God. But see how it's largely individual, right? But the Spirit, our little section of Christianity, says, no, we are interdependent. We are interrelated. We work together. That is the way we do it. And to me, this is such good news. You know why it's good news? It's good news because I'm scared. I'm anxious. I think some of y'all are too. We have a big election coming up, probably the biggest election in our lifetimes. I'm anxious about what's going to happen in our world. I don't know. I don't think any of us really have any idea. I think if we've ever been affected this way before. I think we all are dealing with like, this weird low-key depression I think we're all kind of like, you know, we wake up and we're like, well, I woke up. Good news. <laughs> right? And I don't want to do that alone. I don't want to do that alone. And the beauty of the Trinity, the beauty of our belief, our experience of God, is that God says, not only are you not meant to do it alone, but you will thrive when you're doing it together in community with one another. And so I do want to give my anxiety over to others. And by the way, this week, when you're feeling this way, our justice team is opening up their meeting to everybody so that everybody can pray together, they can worship together, they can speak on their anxieties together, live that way. Because in living that way, we're experiencing God, we're experiencing the Trinity, we're experiencing the theory and the music and the way the music makes us feel. I think that we set our values up in such a way, set our values up in such a way where we believe in this interrelationship. We believe in it, right? And so our staff went away last week, and we came up with a, a, a new set of values, which you'll hear in the new year, but I'm going to leak one to you right now. We came up with the value of radical equity. Now, why radical equity? Because we believe that until all not only have a seat at the table, but until all not only have a voice at the table, but until all have, the, have leadership and a chance to lead at the table, that we're not doing God's work. 
Why? Because we know that we can't go at this alone. We can't do this alone. We are interrelated. We are interdependent. In our church, our community is only as good as the next person. And if the next person is not flourishing, or if they're being oppressed, then it is up to us in an interrelated community to work for one another. Which means those with privilege, give a little bit of that privilege up for the other. Which means those who have a little bit of power, give a little bit of that power up. And the same thing in our policies and our politics. It means maybe I'm giving up a little bit of my money so that others get a little bit more. Or maybe I'm wearing a mask. Because actually wearing a mask shows that I care about the other. Do you see how this is all working? And do you see how it's all put together? And do you see how it's all a part of this incredible, otherworldly, controversial, holy trinity? Oh, boy. So church, we're going to usher in the next 500 years. And we're going to do it when we recognize that we're not doing this alone. And so the only encouragement I have for you this week, besides getting out to vote, is to speak up if you're hurting. It's to call on someone if you're afraid. It's to pray with somebody else who needs prayer. It's to say, I don't know what's going on. There's a bunch of atoms moving between me and another person right now, and it's convicting me of something, and to go out and to live that conviction out in community. And I know it's hard to live out community when we're not allowed to be close to each other. But we want to give you opportunity. Go to the justice meeting. Ask for prayer from Forefront. Our staff and our care team are here to take care of you. Let us do this together. How do we get God? There's a bunch of unforeseen circumstances, right? And these unforeseen circumstances, we decided to build a place and hire a, a priest and, and then make God according to our own image. That's one way we got God. But that's not the way, right? That's not the experience that we have. The experience is this beautiful, wonderful music. Music theory, it's what's behind it. It's the experience of the song itself. It's the way the song makes us feel. And after we're done here, we're going to go and we're going to take communion at some point. And it's in communion that we get together and we celebrate the Trinity. We celebrate Jesus showing us who God is. We celebrate the fact that we get to eat and take of the bread and the cup together. And that we get to live in this wonderful, radical, beautiful mystery. And to that I say, amen. Will you all pray with me? God, we are thankful for the fact that you model community for us. We are grateful for the grace that comes when we don't, don't know what to do or don't know how to do it or don't listen. God, we're thankful for your spirit that continues to move, and we pray that your spirit will continue to do mighty things in this place and in this world, greater things than Jesus has ever done. And God, we pray boldly that you would do them through each and every one of us. We pray all this in your name, your holy name, your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.